We're going to turn to the Word. The Word, of course, is uh, personified in Jesus, but uh, these are the words of God to us, and as we have just sung, it's His Word that our hope secures. So what is our hope? 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 to 13, you know, last, or 8 to 23. Last week we saw the axe head floating, and we said nothing is too small for God, ordinary, everyday aspects of life. Uh, this week and next week as well, we're getting back to the political arena uh, that uh, Elisha lives in, and we're seeing that he's operating amongst uh, kings and generals against uh, in the war-torn regions there of Israel. Let's read it together. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place <coughs> shall be my camp. But the man of God, Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him, and thus he, Elisha, used to warn him, the king of Israel, so that the king of Israel saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and he said to them, Will you now show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. And it was told, Behold, he is in Dothan. So the king of Syria sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night, and they surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And Elisha said to the servant, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please, strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness according with the in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And as soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, my father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? And Elisha answered, you shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those with whom you've taken captive with your sword or with your bow? But set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away. And they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of 
Israel. Thus far in the reading of God's word, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, open our eyes. It's the prayer over and over in this passage. And uh, we simply pray that you would help us to behold the wonderful things that you are showing us in your law. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Audience response here. Arachnophobia, fear of spiders. Very good. Claustrophobia, fear of fear of hot, closed spaces, tight spaces, right? Uh, Omphalophobia, the fear of belly buttons. Uh, it's a real thing. Uh, I can attest to it. You can look it up. Uh, Omphalophobia. Here's the reality, and uh, I. Remember a quote from a book that I read several years ago is called When the Mountains Echo by Khaled Hosseini. He's the guy that wrote The Kite Runner, which was a little bit more well-known than The Mountains Echoed. But the quote went like this. Uh, he said, it's a funny thing. One character is talking to another. He says, it's a funny thing. People mostly have it backwards. They think they live by what they want, but what really guides them is what they are afraid of what they don't want. Have you ever thought about that? Uh, to what extent are you guided by your fears, the things that you are afraid of? Uh, this is actually, if any of you have studied the Enneagram, uh, the sort of the, the core uh, premise of the nine types is that there is a fear uh, which, by which we orient our lives. Uh, so they are various things that Things like uh, being corrupt or evil, being unloved, uh, the fear of pain, all of these things. So whatever your type is, uh, kind of is dictated by, by what your fear might be. In 1975, there was a sociologist by the name of Roger Hart uh, that did a study on a small town in Vermont. And he went around uh, the town and he talked to kids between the ages of like 4 and 12. And he would draw circles of safety, sort of, that they had as they went throughout the town. And what he discovered that was largely, by the time they were 10, again, this is 1975, uh, the kids pretty much had the run of the whole town. They felt secure, and, and they, they would go anywhere. Their parents felt secure, and, and there, was, uh, there were big swaths that they were able to go. He repeated the study 40 years later, about the year 2015. And what he found as he talked to the same, as he talked to kids, same age range, ages like 4 to 12, is that their circles were a lot smaller. When he would say, take me, you know, the places where you feel safe, they would pretty much just walk them around their property. Uh, and, and his conclusion was, uh, in talking to both parents and kids, is that their fears uh, or their lack of sense of safety, their perceptions of safety, changed the way that they interacted with the world. One of the things that was interesting for this study is he said the reality was, though, uh, nothing had changed with crime statistics. Uh, it was exactly the same. Crime hadn't gone up or down, uh, but there was this perception of safety 
that was affecting how people would interact with the world around them. And that's really what I want to get at with us today. I'm, I'm working on the premise that a lot of us are like the servant of Elisha. You know, we, we wake up and we face the world and we're like, alas, my master, we are surrounded. You know, there are all sorts of things that have come and arrayed themselves against us. And this then affects the way that we interact with the world. But what I think we see as we dig a little bit deeper into this scripture and as we put it in the context of what all of the scriptures are saying is that God is actually coming to us and saying, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You are secure and the platform with which you can engage the world is one of security. It's one of safety. It's one of confidence. So three surprises in this passage, and it's interesting. Uh, I'm using as my pivot points verses 17, 18, and 20. And, and what each of these is, is a prayer of Elisha's. Uh, you know, when the servant comes out, he turns to his master. Notice he doesn't go back inside and get Elisha back out. Elisha's already there. He's already seen everything that the servant sees. But he interacts with it in a very different way. Elisha makes his way through this story by means of prayer. Uh, and we're going to talk about each of those prayers as we go. But each of them uh, helps us to see a surprise uh, that God has for us and understand this world at a deeper level. The first surprise uh, is the surprise of light. Uh, the prayer in verse 17 is, please open the eyes of the servant. Let me give you a little context. How did we get to this spot uh, where the servant goes out and he sees the Syrians there? Well, Syrians and Israel are at war, uh, and the Syrians are doing these forays into Israel. They're seeking to take them captive. But Elisha is a one-man intelligence crew. Uh, some of you know that my daughter, Gabriella, is in Fort Huachuca in Arizona, which is the military intelligence headquarters for the U.S. Army. Uh, they would love to have Elisha. Uh, they wouldn't need all these intelligence analysts and everything because they just know, you know what the enemy is going to do. Uh, the servant points out to the king, Elisha hears the things that you talk about in your bedroom. He's a one-man intelligence crew. And he informs the king of Israel, who incidentally is not walking with Yahweh. We see uh, sort of God's common grace here. Uh, he lets the sun shine on the just and the unjust, believers and unbelievers. Uh, and, and here he gives grace to the people of Israel, even though they're not walking with the Lord. And they avoid, it says, more than once or twice, they avoid the Syrian armies and stay out of the traps. And understandably, the Syrian king is a little miffed by this whole thing, and he gets his, uh, his group together, and he wants to smoke out the mole. Like, which one of you is for the Israelites? Who is telling them what's going on? And again, it's the servant. We've noted this. Uh, it's always the servant who's pointing to the truth, right? 
It's the servant who said to the king, and maybe he knows some of this because of Naaman and some of those stories that have gone on, but he said it's Elisha. Elisha's the one who's telling you the very things that go on in your bedroom. And of course, Elisha isn't doing this by a parlor trick. He is led by the word of God, God who is the searcher of hearts and indeed knows all things. So the king responds in the way of kings. Uh, how do kings respond? Power, might. Uh, he gets together, verse 14, horses, chariots, a great army. I mean, these are commando troops. They infiltrate by night. They surround the city. All of this strength and power in order to come after one measly little prophet. And so this is the situation. When the servant wakes up in the morning, he's either going out to do his devotions or to grab the Dothan dispatch, but he looks out and he's like, oh, my word. Uh, look at all of these people here. Alas, my master, we are surrounded. But then there are three things, three truths that Elisha conveys to us uh, that are so important. And I think that they are uh, lead us in a way of solid application because the reality is uh, we are so much like the servant. Uh, we are so much like the servant in this world. We look out, and rather than confidence, uh, it's fear. Alas, what do I see? What do I see in my cancer? What do I see in the virus? What do I see in the ideologies and the political uh, polarization, all of these things? What do I see? Three truths for you. Uh, the first is this. God's weapons are way different than our weapons. You, you notice how the king of Syria comes with strength. He comes with might, a great army, to take off uh, Elisha, just one guy who doesn't, you know, maybe carries a staff, but he doesn't carry a sword. It, it's so counterintuitive. But when Elisha prays in verse 17, that, is pro that his... Uh, his assistant, his young servant, would see uh, what was going on. He sees the horses and chariots of Israel. A and this is exactly what Elisha saw when Elijah was taken up back in 2 Kings 2. And what it is telling us is that God marshals his troops around the word of God. It is the word of God in the mouth of the prophet. That is his strength. You know, you remember Luther's hymn, you know, the, the, though the world with devils filled uh, threatens to undure us, uh, we, we tremble not for the prince of darkness grim, one little word shall fell him. You know, that is what we see here. You know, it's Elisha, the prophet, who is the weapon. It is the word of God. So we, we face all of these things. We face the enemies in the land. Uh, cancer, disease, virus, pestilence, political po polarization, ideologies that you know, set themselves up against Christ. And, and we're like, alas. And, and God says, remember, I fight with the word. That is where the power is. That is where the horses and chariots of fire are. They can come arrayed with all of their strength, but it will not overthrow the word. And, and then closely related to this, when 
uh, secondly here in terms of application, when Elisha prays that the, the servant would have his eyes open, he not only recognizes that the power is with Elisha, but the power dwarfs those who have come against him. You know, he, he sees on a different level. Now, he, when he looked out initially, what he saw was flesh and blood. What he saw was spears and chariots and all of these different things. What he recognizes now is that those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. Some of you have seen uh, The Lord of the Rings or you've read the story. You know that when Frodo takes the ring of power and he puts it on his finger, it's all of a sudden he's transported out of just the physical world that he can see, hobbits and Aragon and all of that, and now he can see the ring race and he can see Sauron and he recognizes that there is this different level to the world in which he operates. And that's exactly what Elisha prays for his servant. Help him to see the spheres, you know, the principalities and powers that are on our side that are fighting for us. And that's what Paul says too. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against principalities and powers. Now, that in one sense is kind of terrifying because we recognize that whatever our enemies in the land are, there's, there's the prince of darkness grim that uh, stands behind them, right? But it's comforting because we know that those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And this is really the third thing. Listen to what Elisha says to the servant. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I don't know how many times the scriptures say this. I did a quick cursory search, and I found 38 constructions of this exact thing. But you know, there are so many others, you know, where the Bible says, fear not, or be strong, be very courageous. I mean, over and over and over again, God comes to us through his word and says, do not be afraid. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, they, they're not going to overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you're not going to be burned. You know, Paul, when he was on his way to, uh, when he was on his way to Caesar, God appears before him in the night, and he says, "Don't be afraid. I'll be with you." You know, the Apostle John says, uh, "Don't be afraid, for he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world." And that is what God's word constantly is coming to God's people, saying, "Do not be afraid." Yeah, I was thinking about this. I, I listen to a variety of podcasts over the course of the week. I walk in and out of stores, and uh, I'm, I'm hearing secular people uh, constantly repeating this message. Stay safe out there. Uh, be safe. But, you know, and, and that's good. I mean, we should stay safe. We should take, take precautions, whatever. But don't let that be the message that runs in your mind. The message that runs in our mind and should be the undercurrent of our life is you are safe. You are held in the everlasting arms of Jesus. Uh, there is not a hair that can fall from your head that he has not numbered. He takes care of the sparrows, the lilies of the field. You are safe. Do not be anxious. Do not be afraid. 
do not fear. That, that's the message of the Lord. And it's such, such a timely message for the day. So the first surprise is like, Lord, open their eyes that they would see, that they would see on every level that they are held secure, you know, in the everlasting arm of Jesus. Jesus says, you know, we, we are held in his hand, which is his hand is held in the hand of the Father. We are doubly handed and none can pluck us out of that hand. The reality is in Christ you are safe. But we don't always see it. And that's where this second sort of point goes. It's interesting, the second surprise, uh, the second prayer then that Elisha has, you know, the Syrians now are coming down against Jesus or against Elisha. They're exercising their strength. And he prays, please strike this people with blindness. So the opposite of what he prayed for his servant, his servant, he said, please open his eyes. Now he says, please strike them with blindness. And, and here's the surprise. The surprise is that the way forward is oftentimes backwards. Uh, the way up is, is oftentimes down. Uh, or the way to see is oftentimes through the darkness. What do I mean by that? Well, these Syrians have come against Israel. I mean, they, they are both, the Syrians and the Israelis, they're, they're both uh, seeking for an absence of conflict. But the way that they're doing it is by beating the other. If I can subject the other, then we'll have an absence of conflict. But God has got a completely different path that he wants them to take. And so he strikes these Syrian troops, you know, the mini, the great army, the crack troops that have come in, infiltrated in night. Uh, he is, strikes them with blindness, probably not a physical blindness because they can actually walk and follow Elisha, but he's obfuscated them, he's confused them. It's like a bewilderment or a befuddlement. And he leads them 11 miles from Dothan right into the heart of Samaria. And you can imagine uh, the, the Syrian expletives when they opened their eyes and they saw where they were. Uh, they were in Samaria. They were in the heart of enemy country. They were in, in such dire straits. They're like, oh my goodness, we are in Samaria. And what's interesting to me is how often we walk through life this way. And we want to get away from it so fast. We walk through life blind, you know, befuddled. We walk through life uh, finding ourselves in Samaria, the very place where we don't want to be. But what they don't know is that when their eyes are open, they are going to see a demonstration of the gospel that they never could have anticipated. They are going to see God at work in a way they never could have planned for. And might not that be the same thing for us? Whatever you're going through right now, the darkness that descends, the befuddlement, whatever you, wherever you find yourself, the Samarias of your life where you say, I do not want to be here. That could be the very place where you are about to experience grace. You are on the threshold of gospel abundance like you never 
could have imagined. You know, there was this interaction in John chapter 9. Jesus uh, heals a man who was born blind. And, uh, you know, a lot of the same themes here of blindness and seeing. And he, he says, he says, For judgment I have come into the world uh, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees heard him say these things, and they said to him, So are you saying that we are also blind? And then Jesus said to them, Well, actually, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But because you say, we see, your guilt remains. Jesus is making the same point. The way up is the way down. It's acknowledging our blindness. It's acknowledging the help that we need. It's acknowledging the fact that we are weak. That is the path to the kind of strength that God wants to give us. That is the kind of strength or that is the path to the kind of feasting, the kind of blessing that God has in mind for us. And that then is the third surprise of this passage. The prayer in verse 20, he prays, now open their eyes. And when they open their eyes, they realize they're in Samaria. Uh, the king of Israel says, <laughs> king of Israel just can't imagine uh, how God is blessing him. And he says to Elisha, my master, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? And like two times, he's so excited uh, because he's the same as the Syrians, right? Uh, he, he thinks it's by strength, it's by might, it's by killing the enemy. Like that's the way we're going to move forward. But Elisha demonstrates that he's flying above the politics of this day. Uh, you know, it's the interesting, the Middle East is still such a volatile place, you know, with Israelis and Syrians and Lebanese and Palestinians and Jordanians. Uh, but Elisha flies above all of that. He says, I don't want you to beat each other up. I don't want you, you know, one to subjugate the other. But let's have a party. You know, let's kill the fatted calf. No, set food and bread before them. And so it says that, the, the king uh, prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids of Israel. Isn't it interesting that this path, completely, uh, completely non-sequitur, you know, both for the Israelites said, okay, we've got them, let's beat them, or for the Syrians who, Syrians who went to capture them, he led them through blindness to each other, and then they had a party, and they eat. They had this great feast, and the result was peace. The result was no more raids. The result was a, a friendship that they never could have anticipated. And what we sometimes forget is that God still works this way. What we have here is a picture of exactly how Jesus has come and interacted with his world. Uh, we have a picture of the word, and, and, and the, the enemies have come to array themselves against him. You know, it's like in Narnia when the wicked witch takes Aslan, and she thinks she's won a great victory. She pins him down on the stone table, and they kill him, and they think that they have won a great victory. 
But what they didn't realize was that there was a deeper magic at work. And, and, and what the principalities and the powers who took Jesus didn't realize is that he was willingly being led. It's like he took the blindness and the darkness that fell upon the Syrians and he went to the cross and in the midst of the utter darkness, the inky blackness, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the ultimate weakness, but it's the ultimate strength. It's the ultimate Samaria. You know, Satan thought he had won a great victory. I've got them here. My master, shall I kill him? But what he didn't realize was that he was inaugurating the greatest feast that is ever going to be had. Because Jesus is the bridegroom that has come for his bride. And the wedding feast of the Lamb is being prepared. You know, this is what the scriptures are all about. This just fits right into biblical theology. Isaiah 26, uh, the prophet says, On this mountain, Mount Zion, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples, all the nations, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine. You know, that was the promise is that I am going to work salvation through this Jewish nation, this tiny people who has no strength in themselves, this slave nation that I'll lead out of Egypt. Uh, no power from an earthly standpoint. But this is where the feasting is going to come. Uh, Jesus says, he says, many will come from the east and the west, and they're going to take their places with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast of heaven. Like, this is the promise. And so when we read this passage and we see this story, we recognize that it is an invitation to us to not eschew our blindness, but to recognize our blindness and to submit ourselves to the seeing, the sight that God gives us. Because this is exactly the path that Jesus, that Jesus has tread. So, two things just in terms of application. One, be not afraid. Be not afraid. Don't be afraid. God has won the victory. I mean, we are living. We know the end of the story. It's like you're in the middle of this thriller and you want to know if the hero makes it. And you go to the end of the book and you're like, oh yeah, he's still there. I can keep reading, right? Because I don't know how it's going to happen, but he's going to make it. And we have the end of the story. We're going to the wedding feast of the Lamb. The bridegroom has come for his bride. Do not be afraid of virus. Do not be afraid of political agendas. Do not be afraid of the cancer in your life, of your boss, of your spouse, of any of the things that have set themselves up against you. Do not be afraid. Celebrate the feast. You know, welcome. Remember, as we take the bread and the cup, that this is a foretaste of our reality right now. Secondly, uh, extend the welcome. I love this picture. You know, Jews and Syrians sitting down. I mean, they are at odds with each other. These people do not like each other. Uh, this is, uh, you know, people from Alabama, you know, lining up with the people from LSU. They're coming together before the big game, and they're sitting down, and they're eating together. 
because this is the way of the gospel. And I don't know who that is in your life. You know, maybe it's a neighbor. Uh, maybe it is somebody in your family. Maybe it is your boss. Maybe it is your spouse who you're at odds with. Maybe it's somebody who has a different political ideology than you. Uh, but the invitation here, and again, this goes back to the Roger Hart study, the more that we feel secure, the more that we know that we are secure, the bigger our circle of interaction with our world will be, right? So the less secure we feel, the narrower it will be. What God is saying to us is do not be afraid. I've got you. You are secure. You are safe. Therefore, you know, let's celebrate the feast. Open wide. Throw open the backyard. Socially distance. Invite people over and, and, and have a party uh, because this is the way of the gospel. And this is what we're going to celebrate as we come to the Lord's table. This is what we're going to sing about uh, as we talk about feasting in the house of Zion. And this is what uh, God is inviting us to. Reality, we all have fears. And they actually control us a lot more than we'd like to admit. But bigger reality, God says you are safe. Do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Amen?